Hello everybody and welcome to Let's Talk Mate, Solent Minds Men's Mental Health Chat. Um, and this is a very special episode for International Men's Day as we are doing a live episode, live from Solent University um, Studios, I guess. We'll just call them Solent University Studios. Um, so thank you very much to Solent University for lending us the studios um, and allowing us to help uh, talk about men's mental health a little bit more. And also, of course, thank you to our sponsors, Novatech. Um, for talking, letting again, sponsoring us and letting us talk more about men's mental health. Um, if you're first time tuning into this, this is a little chat brought to you by the people at Solent Mind. And we just like to talk about mental health um, a little bit more and specifically talk about men's mental health. Get men talking or at the very least get men listening at the very start. Um, so that is about it. And well, this episode, we're going to be starting. We've got a kind of a little thing from Kevin Gardner, our CEO, which will be about halfway through the show. We'll start by just talking a little bit about um, the few co- topics that we have covered so far. And then we'll go into the um, questions from you guys, as well as from uh, some things that have come up repeatedly on topics that we want to address a little bit further. But without further ado, let me get into people alongside me. First of all, my name is Sam Clark. I'm the Digital Content Officer at Solent Mind. Um, and alongside me, I've got two guests who have been on the podcast before, but I'll let them introduce themselves. First, Rob, do you want to go? Uh, yeah. Hi, everyone. My name's Rob Emy. I'm the uh, Community Peer uh, Team Leader with in, in Portsmouth. And Lachlan? Yeah, hello everyone. My name's Lachlan. I'm an outreach coordinator for iTalk, which is a talking therapy service uh, for most of Hampshire on the NHS. And there's very similar services in other places like Portsmouth and Southampton. I've got talking change and steps to well-being there. And first of all, um, obviously, we've got another campaign going on throughout the month, the Let's Talk Mate sponsored silence Mm -hmm. campaign. And Rob, I know you've already taken part in this. So let's have a little chat and just, you know, well, first of all, how did you feel during that kind of period? And what was it like? Is it, it, I imagine, very bizarre? (laughs) Uh, To be honest with you, mate, it was horrible. (laughs) Uh, It's amazing, you know, when I was, when I decided, when I, you know, decided to to do it, I was like, okay. I know the dates I'm going to do it, what the 24-hour period is going to be. Um, I did have to do it over a weekend because, unfortunately, because of my job uh, job role, I was there was no way I was going to be able to avoid <laughs> speaking in work hours. Um, uh, yeah, it was it was quite bizarre. Uh, it's just felt very unnatural. Uh, it was funny the little things I missed. I was saying to Lucan before we started, just little things like not being able to sing in the shower in the morning, <laughs> or you know, or talk to the dog. <laughs> <laughs> um, I know my partner found it very <laughs> frustrating at times as well. When you know, especially you know, having to communicate with her over WhatsApp or kind of try or having to try and lip read me. It it was yeah. It was difficult. I mean, we went out. Uh, we went out shopping to rightly during uh, during the weekend as well when I was doing it, and so it was so frustrating not being able to just say thank you to the shop assistants or or kind of ask for a bag. Um, at one point, you know, we were I was buying myself some new shoes and suddenly realised, right, oh, how do I ask them for a couple of different sizes? You know, so my partner was having to ask the shop assistants for me about, you know, can you go and get a size eleven, uh, which felt quite disempowering to be honest um it is i think you know it's did kind of make me realize you know how much you know i take for granted just being you know being able to kind of communicate with people and i'm 
someone who's come from I suffer with anxiety and depression and I've gone you know I used to be a lot quieter when I was younger and I've done a lot of work on myself over the years I've I'm a lot I'm now quite an outgoing person so yeah it not being able to talk and it was the things like actually you know I felt quite good during that day but what but then you know I was having those little thoughts about well what actually you know if I was feeling quite low and I couldn't just kind of verbalize that to you know to to my partner or to my friends or you know it's yeah so it was it was very it was very weird it's very challenging and I think it did you know it did kind of just highlight to me like you know how important it is just to be able to you know talk even if it's just talking nonsense mm-hmm. <laughs> you know yeah and i think that's the thing that's uh, we obviously had a few discussions before starting this campaign about like what we wanted to highlight within it is that thing of like you know this is very simplistic things that you're talking about like not mm. being able to ask for a bag maybe yeah. not be able to ask your other half to like pass a tv remote like whatever those <laughs> little things are singing in the shower um which you know that's a great example of, like self-expression in a way as well mm. Um, but then how that then translates because a lot of people like we're most men are pretty good at being able to say oh can you pass me the remote can you give me that whatever (laughs) but then they struggle when it gets into talking about their mental health and talk about their feelings and the things we the the kind of line we use is not being able to communicate Mm. your wants your needs and your feelings which are just some things that people just don't communicate as much uh, to bring Lachlan into this is this something that you know, when you think about the idea of if you were doing a silence, like how that would work and like the kind of things you'd miss out on, really. Yeah, I mean, um, first thing that strikes me is it must be pretty isolating. Uh, I'm not sure if you if you found that, Rob. I think yeah. I would have been inclined to carry around, I don't know, like a whiteboard and a pen or something. <laughs> <laughs> I had this little kind of sign with me uh, when we went out shopping to say why I can talk, but I didn't get a chance to get it out of my pocket and unfold it before <laughs> you know i had to move on it was uh yeah it was i would say it was even though you know i spent the entire you know i spent the entire 24 hours you know with my partner and and, and with the you know and with the pooch it was still it did feel quite there was that yeah it did feel quite isolating in a way which was bizarre when you've got you have a half right there but yeah just not being able to verbalize what's going on in your head even if it's just like really weird random thoughts that i'd usually just spout out <laughs> to her you know? yeah. and and do you think it would have been easier or harder to have been maybe on your own or you know was it in some ways harder having your partner there in the room with you and not being able to speak to her i think it was uh one thing i noticed was when we went out shopping i was actually finding it easier to you know to stay to remember not to talk because it's very difficult to remember not that you can't talk for 24 hours there were almost a couple of slips i will admit it's very difficult you know it's very unnatural to a thing to kind of do but yeah i found it it was it was i found it actually was harder when it was just me and my partner uh because you know we we have a very open you know uh honest you know communication We, we talk about everything so that was that that was really hard um i think yeah if i was i think if i was still you know spending the time by myself it might be it might be easier but i guess then again there might also be you know other challenges there mm. um you know i was very conscious of i wanted to make sure i went out 
while we were doing it. I didn't yeah. it, I didn't want to just cheat and stay at home. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think that'd be interesting because I'm doing it on Tuesday coming up and I probably, unless, unless as I've discussed with you before, unless my other half loves the idea of me being silent and somebody invites me around. <laughs> um, but at, at the moment, there's no plans for that. So it will just be, you know, apart from the team meeting, which I've discussed, which I'm going to have to somehow stay silent for, which is even more difficult when a team meet is over Teams rather than like in person as well. You'll I be like, on the chat the whole time. Yeah, just on, yeah. I guess at least you've got that option online. Yeah. So that's something. But yeah, um, yeah. So if you do want to donate to um, the campaign, the link is just at the top of the page. There, you can see it right there: www.justgiving.com/campaign/let's-talk-mate to donate to us. Um, you've got both mine and uh, you've got both campaigns up there. Uh, but you can just donate to the overall campaign as well, um, which is always a little bit easier. So you don't have to choose who your favourite between me and Rob is. Um, <laughs> but if you want to, you can always do that as well. Um, but yeah, so we've kind of a number of episodes of the podcast have now gone by. I believe this will be the seventh or eighth episode that we've done since, is it February when it started or March? Oh, it's around about maybe March, April, something like that. No, we were, it's just when we were starting to look at coming out of lockdown, which because yeah. obviously that was, that was the first episode. Yeah, the first episode was coming yeah. out of lockdown and I believe Lachlan, you were on that episode. Yes, I was. Yeah, it was a brilliant episode and it still feels quite relevant today. Yeah. I think many of us expected us to be further along now with with actually uh, sort of getting back to normal, so to speak. But, you know, obviously with rising cases again and things like that and, you know, many people still working from home or uh, at least not being in the office and out and about as much as they would have expected. I think those anxieties that people might be experiencing um around getting out more that that's still a thing for many people so i'd encourage people to go back and listen to that one actually mm. i think as i say it's still quite relevant i think because it, it has been like you know coming out of lockdown but it's been like a year-long process of coming out of lockdown mm. yeah. and while, while you know at certain points i know i know in july i felt like that kind of oh, i think it got delayed to august but whenever like the kind of big re restrictions lifting moment happened it felt like quite a lot because it felt like it went straight from like the six person rule to like, okay, all the restrictions are lifted. Yeah. It felt like surely there's a few more steps between that. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, and so I felt very overwhelmed, especially like I was mm. in my last, doing my master's of university. So in kind of my last, my master's, we just got back to six person rule in like March or April, whenever that happened. Mm. And then we never got to like, you know, maybe having like 10 people instead, or, you know, have a few more people outside versus inside. And, and then just everything just got lifted from nowhere and it just felt very overwhelming especially like when I was going to the shops and I still wear my mask in shops a lot of the time now but going to mask uh, shops and suddenly there's loads of people without their masks off, which didn't happen too much in Southampton actually there was still quite a lot of people but it just felt very sudden but then now it's starting to feel slow again which is just a very weird mm. and very anxiety inducing kind of combat between the two yeah I think it's important as well just kind of recognise where different people are with this I mean I've you know, I definitely I felt those anxieties. You know, when we were first starting to come out. Then, on the other hand, I look at things. Uh, since uh, things have relaxed, I've been to a, I've been to a festival in the middle of a field. <laughs> you know, I've I've been to I've been to a concert at the Guild Hall in Portsmouth. I've got a holiday in America booked for New Year. Uh, so, I, in one in one way, I've kind of just kind of gone for it. But I've still got that. You know. Yeah, I'm still at the moment. I'm just like keeping everything crossed for the holiday, you know. And I'm still, and then you know, when I went to the when I went to the concert at the Guildhall, I was like, mm, there's something to kind of say 
to my friends and the partner, oh, let's go down the front. But on the other hand, it's like, oh, actually, I think maybe just try and stay a bit closer to my partner rather than mixing with everyone else. And you have people in there with masks, some of that. It's, yeah, I think it's going to be an in- I think we're probably, you know, realistically, you know, in for an interesting ride still. I mean, we've never, none of us have ever kind of lived through anything like this. It's something new for all of us. So, yeah, it's, I think my biggest advice to anyone with that would be take one day at a time. And also, it's okay to go back and forth. There'll be some days where I'm feeling a bit more carefree and others where I'm feeling, oh, actually, if, for example, if I'm on the quiet train, I might not think so much about my mask. But then if I get on the, if I was getting on the busy train to London or a tube at the moment, you know, I will be more inclined to get mask on. And I think, yeah, it's that, and, that, and that kind of everyone's in different places and taking mm. things one day at a time is just, it's very apt to mental health as a whole, not of just course. within this. Yeah. Um, we all, of course, had the sport and exercise um, episode again, Nocklin was on that, on a lot of the early episodes, Lachlan. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, we've got a few questions um, after, so I might put that, uh, put a nip in that, and then we'll talk about more sport and exercise mm-hmm. after, because we did get very interesting sport and question-based yeah. um, question. Um, the next one was a dad's mental health one, um, which I don't know. I don't know who can. Is, uh, I don't know the family situations of everyone here, <laughs> but I don't believe anyone could so talk about this. That was an interesting one because I hosted that, yeah. and I remember at the time feeling a bit very kind of again quite anxious and nervous about mm-hmm. it because I'm, I'm not a dad, uh, as far as I know. I have no children. Um, <laughs> uh, think wondering what my again what the other house reaction is going to be to that. Um, the the closest I've got is you know the dog is the fur baby you know I'm I'm much happy I'm perfectly content to go down the fur baby route with yeah. you know pets as babies but uh, yeah that was I did I found it really interesting taking part in that one though and 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 listening to the guys you know who came onto the podcast you know who who were dads listening to their thoughts and yeah it's I think it's so, for for any people, I guess for anyone who's listening is a, who you know who has got kids, especially if anyone listening who's got young young boys, maybe yeah, have a you know maybe go back and have a listen to that one. I think it's so important to kind of because I remember one of the questions I asked is like how can you know how can dads you know set that example for their sons of you know that it's okay as a man to ask for help with your mental health and or to admit weakness. Because again, we know well, why did we start Let's Talk Mate in the first part, in the first place? Because we know, you know, there's so many men out there, and sometimes it can be a generational thing, who just are not good at asking for help. <laughs> and yeah. I think, um, and I, I think Lachlan, you actually mentioned to me to this yesterday, this goes beyond mental health because this goes into physical health as well. You know, it's mm. especially my dad, I know he doesn't. Like he'll wait until he's almost like passed out on the floor before he even considers going to the doctors. Yeah, um, and that's quite a consistent mm. thing. I know with my dad specifically, and I did ask him before I came on if I could talk about this. Mm. Um, before uh, lockdown, he'd never had any experience of mental health as far as he knew. Like he just didn't. I don't know if it's just because he was working all the time, so he never really had any time to think about it. Mm. But during lockdown, he didn't have much work on. Um, my mum's a key worker, so she was going to work all the time, and none of the kids could get home. And so he found himself starting to feel these levels of um, mental health that he's never had before in his life and coming and talking to me as he kn- as he knows that I've suffered with it before and just being like, yeah, I didn't know. Like He's always been very supportive of me and my mental health, 
but he never really knew what it felt like and he came to me and was like wow like I never understood what you were going through in those times but that's like how do you do it for this many years and I've only done it for a few months kind of thing um, and yeah so it's, it's a very interesting thing where yeah he's definitely that kind of man mm. I come from South East London so it's, that, it's, mm. a, it's a very much a culture of you know you man up you get on with it yeah. Um, and yeah so even seeing him and obviously not happy that he went through it but mm. it, it, I think it was mm. a very eye opening thing for him to be able to experience that a little yeah. bit that's so powerful yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and yeah I think any, any um, fathers out there and I know it ca- I can imagine it's quite hard in terms of like you want to be strong for your kids, you want to be strong for you know if it, uh, if the wife is still involved or whatever else, you th- there is that responsibility to be the man of the house. Mm-hmm. But you know the best example you can set, especially if you've got boys, is to be weak in those moments. I think, mm. um, and show them that yeah it's okay to be weak and you're still you're still as much of a man as anyone else is. Yeah. Mm. Um, yeah, and then moving on, I believe it was the body image episode was the next one up was mm. episode um, four. And I think that's something that everyone can relate to on some level, even yeah. if it's a weird thing, like, I don't know. There's so many weird things. Like people think, almost think body image of like, okay, it's just like people who are slightly overweight or it's just people who are mm. skinny or whatever else. Um, and I know I've had it from when I was really slim and felt like really weak and because of it. Um, and, you know, people can have it because you know, they don't like the way their eyes look or something like that. Mm. There's so many things that could come up with that. I think as well, what always strikes me is I don't, again, I think this is probably getting better and maybe with, again, it could be a generational thing. Uh, but for a lot a lot of times, I think people maybe still kind of think about kind of struggles with body image as being something that they more closely associate with with with, with, with women. Yeah. You know, uh, similar with maybe like eating disorders, you know, they might associate those more as kind of women's problems. And, you know, I just remember the, the massive kind of fuss on social media when Freddie Flintoff came out and started speaking about his body image issues and his, you know, and his eating disorder and and yeah, it was fantastic because you know as a really notable kind of you know quite manly looking man, I guess if you're going on the stereotypical <laughs> images, you know, talking about talking about that, but you know, it should be more commonplace for people to talk about that. Um, but anyway, it's funny little things. I we I took a selfie uh, just before we started this <laughs> for myself and with, with us two. And uh, first thing I noticed when I looked at it was like, oh my god, my teeth look really yellow, and they my teeth don't look white enough. I don't like my smile. <laughs> it, it can be the funniest little things you kind of focus in on. Yeah, I think I I focus in on like the strangest little things. Like, I think I made a comment uh, to my other half of it, like sitting up in bed, like, and I was just like. Does, does my kneecap look a bit like odd to you? And she was just like, what are you talking about? And I was like, no, it looks like strange. Doesn't it looks like, it looks like a bit like overgrown or something. And she was like, she was like, what are you talking about? Like it's a knee. <laughs> it's just like those little things, but sometimes you do get really locked onto those yeah. things. And I know mm. I did quite a lot on any little thing when I was, you know, I spent quite a lot of time isolated. And I would like, when I just sit in home alone mm. and you just like, you just notice little things and it just sticks in your head and you can't get it out for whatever reason. Mm. Um, and as you say, it is you know women openly talk about, and women obviously face all sorts of body issues, and traditionally, and it should be spoken about a lot because they have faced an awful lot of pressure because of their bodies. Mm. Um, but because it's almost spoken about so often, it it normalises it to an extent for women to be like, okay, I'm insecure about my body because of this, this, and this. Whereas with men, it's not mm. as much, and it almost becomes, you know, I you never hear the level of you know what's called what a lot of people call banter with like, I don't know, a fat bloke in the group because that 
the, the, the with guys the banter is ban like could call it as banter and they don't necessarily know the effect it's having whereas you'll never mm. really have that same thing with um women at least not to the same level and mm. they almost do a lot more chance to kind of see and yeah. like be more uh, aware of how it affects people yeah. but we have this thing where we have to joke about these things as men mm. like it's just the way we we are, we are now yeah. yeah is it worth as men thinking about you know what co- what to us is a joke a bit of banter just thinking about maybe how it may be affecting us. Yeah. a bit of a, a silly example so i remember if, if if my if these particular two friends of mine are listening uh, they'll probably know who i'm talking about uh a couple of friends of mine who lesson start losing their hair quite young and I used to give always give it a bit of poking a bit of teasing and then I'm obviously for anyone who can see I've now <laughs> started to go in the same way and so I shaved the head and I was and when I first realized that I had a massive bald spot creeping up on me I, I really felt insecure about it and I was and since then I've been like oh maybe I should have thought about some of these things I was saying yeah. to the other guys. Yeah, and I think it is like, and it's not to say like, no one's wants to say you can't have a joke around with mm. your mates or anything like yeah. that. Obviously mm. there's levels to it, but I find I know my mates' boundaries. I know mm. the things that are like, little things they can handle and little things that they can't. It's worth having that conversation of like, are you sure this is like an okay thing? Are you sure you're comfortable mm. joking about this? And a lot of people, and it, and it can even be just as they're just not in a good mood that day, so they don't feel like taking it on that particular day. Yeah. But just keeping that conversation open so mm. that when your mate goes to you and go, oh, can you call it down with that for at the moment? Yeah. I'm just starting yeah. to get to me. But make sure that that relationship exists within a, a friend mm. group. And I think that's a, it's a healthy thing in any thing, relationships, whatever it is. Um, but having that open conversation, go, yeah, can you? called it a little bit of that for now because it's really starting to get yeah. to me definitely yeah um the next episode we have was anger management which maybe maybe it links in there the anger within groups but uh, i wanted to talk a little bit about this just because i was listening to well, I was editing the podcast um but in listening to it i was you know obviously there's a lot of focus in terms of aggression in terms of anger but what i tend to get like i'm not an aggressive person i'm sure most people in that know me will agree i'm like the least aggressive person you could possibly meet but my anger is always very inward. It, it goes towards myself. So I do feel I have some level of anger management issues, but it's all inward facing. It's all, yeah. I'm all trapping it within myself. And that can be its own hell in its own right. And especially, you know, we talk about, again, there's a question coming up that will relate to this, but just the way you then release your anger when you're on your own can almost be, I know you can take it out on other people is never good, but it can almost be more dangerous than when you take it out in a more public space, whatever you do with, with that anger mm. I think so yeah it's it's all about kind of finding those healthy ways to deal with it and I'm I know I'm pretty sure I said this during the episode you know anger is a normal healthy emotion yeah. uh, you know I don't think there's any I don't believe there's any such thing as an unhealthy emotion but yeah it's it's finding those you know yeah it's not it's not great if you know if if someone goes out a night out and you know and they're not dealing with their underlying anger issues and you know they're all getting into fights or kind of you know or getting like you know one of the guys on that episode spoke quite openly about his issues with road rage uh but as well yeah it's there's you know and i know we'll come on to this a bit later in some of the other questions that came in but you know if you internalize it it can cause you kind of physical health issues but also as well it can manifest in other you know, ways such as, you know, self-harm and, and you know, all neglect. And, 
it's it can it can be really destructive and you know it can harm your relationships you know so it's just always good to just to you know if you're angry about it to talk about it again you know just again the name of the podcast i guess just you know talk about it get it out there get it open you know don't let things fester i would would say i do think it's also worth pointing out that maybe not so much anger as such but irritability Mm. can can really be a common symptom of other things going on you know it it can be tied up with depression and feeling low it can be linked into things Mm. like anxiety um and I, i think you often see that more commonly with men who might be feeling depressed or anxious actually that it comes out as irritability mm. more frequently than you might expect um you know for social reasons the way mm. the way men are expected to behave what kinds of emotions are safe and acceptable for men to express um i think that can often be the case so it's it's worth i think men stopping and thinking that maybe um the warning signs for them might look different than they might expect doesn't always look like the stereotypical version of depression where you're feeling low uh, and withdrawing from people um yeah yeah i think yeah i think that's it will come up quite a lot i think it might come up another question is like just being aware that for because a lot of the you know the kind of things that we talk about for symptoms of mental health quite often aren't always associated with men necessarily it's not always the way that men um react when they feel mentally Mm. ill or mentally unwell um, and I think there's a question that we will kind of uh, jump into on that. So I'll kind of put a plug in that as well. And the last episode that we recorded was um, the student episode, um, which I hosted. Um, and yeah, I know both of you, I believe both of you have gone through university um, earlier on. But it, for me, you know, my university experience only ended a few months ago. Um, but it got better as the years went on. And we're back in, you know, my old stomping grounds recording this um, podcast, which is a very interesting way to come back round. But it, university, I feel like everyone's got this set idea on what the university life is. And when it doesn't necessarily live up to this expectation, it then becomes very difficult. And I think that's a key thing with life in general. You have this expectation of what you want to do. And as men, you've got this very set almost way of like, you know, how you react on a night out. Like how, the kind of night out that men are meant to have when I'm going to go get drunk and I'm going to go get women and this, that and the other. But that's not what everyone wants to do. Um, the same with the university life. Not everyone wants to party all the time. Um, not everyone wants to go to the mainstream clubs. Maybe they want to go to the alternative bars or the the gay clubs. Like I, the, those that was my scene when I found that. I felt a lot better. Um, but then not everyone wants to go to university in the first place as well. And I think a lot of people have mental health issues because they think, oh, university is what I'm meant to do. So just go mm. through to university without any second thought. Mm. And then suddenly they're in university and like, oh, maybe this is not what I want to do. And maybe giving mm. people the option that there's more paths than just yep. these most walked paths. Mm. I think there's something around the, the lack of structure sometimes that people encounter with yeah. with studying away for the first time, maybe being away from home, particularly if you're doing an art subject, maybe you don't have a lot of taught hours. Yeah. You've got all this time and what do you do with it? Yeah. And, uh, and I think uh, it can be quite easy sometimes to get, to let things slide a bit with your well-being, your self-care kind of, letting the exercise go maybe not socializing in the healthiest ways um just losing a bit of balance really um so i think i think there is a message there about maybe encouraging younger men who might be students to kind of actively think about their well-being and how Mm. they how they're going to manage that and build that balance definitely and i also think just having like 
because at university you can get away, and I think you should be able to get away with this in work, just to be fully clear, but sometimes you can't, is the idea of when you're not feeling completely well mentally, you can take that time off. Like, I, I, one of the things I said on the podcast was, in my late years of university, instead of just n- not turning up to a lecture or whatever, I'd email my lecturer and say, I'm not, my mental health's a little bit not going particularly good today, I'm, I'm not going to come in, but just send me the stuff I can catch up on or whatever else. And just that simple message of, even if you're not asking for help per se, but you're just letting someone know, mm. helped me massively. And also just mm. being very aware of like, okay, I've got a really long day coming up. If I force myself through that, that's going to make me feel worse for the next few days. Whereas if I give myself a day off, I will be able to be better for the next few days. Um, and I think that's a message you should be able to take into work. You can't always necessarily, depending on the industry you're working and the people you're working with. Um, but at university you can because you are your own boss basically when you're in university no matter what lecturers say and I'm sure a lot of lecturers listen to this and won't like what I'm saying <laughs> but you you are your own boss they present you with the materials to be able to do whatever you want with it and you can take or leave whatever you want with those materials mm-hmm. and um, yeah just take advantage of finding yourself because those few years um, it was so nice to have that slightly unstructured few years to be able to really find myself that's not for everybody, but it is for some mm. people. So mm. yeah, definitely people need to think about that. And yeah, just and also just think about if university maybe isn't for you. There's mm. loads of other options. You can go straight into work and go into apprenticeships. There's so many options. Um, so maybe think about all those other options as well if university isn't maybe for you. But um, yeah, that's kind of a sort of quick roundup of all the podcasts we've yeah. done. You can of course go um, back on Spotify, YouTube, Facebook, and find all of these podcasts. Um, if anything in particular we've talked about has interested you. Um, but for now, um, of course, Rob earlier today spoke to um, our C- Soda Mind CEO, Kevin Gardner. So now we've got a little interview with Kevin Gardner, um, who gave a lot of good insight into men's mental health. Um, he's experienced from being CEO of Soda Mind and being CEO of a mental health charity, and just a load of other things that he thinks, and of course, the growth of Let's Talk, mate. Uh, so I've got uh, Kevin Gardner with me, so who's the CEO of Soda Mind. Uh, thanks for joining us Kevin to uh, take some time uh, to take part in the podcast today. So obviously uh, as Solar Mind we've been, it, it's been going for a couple of years now, we've been running our campaigns yeah. around International Men's Day yeah. and obviously we, for, for the last few months we've been, record, we've been recording the podcast, let's talk mate. Mm. Um, so I think I've just got a few questions to, kind of, to get your thoughts on Kevin. I think kind the of first one is so the reason why we obviously originally started, you know, looking into this issue and, and this work around men's mental health is because we are still seeing nationally suicide rates amongst men are, you know, extreme you know, they're a lot higher than they are compared to suicide rates amongst women in this mm-hmm. country. And you know, looking at recent statistics, you know, it I think it was, you know, suicide was the leading cause of death for men in the UK under I think it might be in the age of uh, 50, yeah. something around that. I mean, in terms of, so I just want to in terms of your own thoughts, I mean, do, you, do you have any particular thoughts on why we're seeing, we're still seeing that massive disparity, especially in, you know, trendy, it's, you know we're almost in 2022 20, now, and, you know, it is a lot, you know, you'd think maybe we would have made progress on that by now. So. Yeah, well, first of all, Rob, thanks for, inviting me on to Let's Talk Me. I've been watching the 
episodes that we've produced, been producing over the last few months. Great respect for all of the guys that have been coming on. Um, so uh, yeah, I was really pleased that uh, you gave me the invitation to come on for International Men's Day. So very, very happy to, to be here, thanks. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I think the, the, the causes of this are, are, are quite complex. Um, but uh, I'll try and summarize you know, yeah. from, from my perspective what, what I think the main reasons are behind this alarming disparity in suicide rates between men and women, and also the rates by which men and women are accessing services. I think, um, I think it starts with um, social conditioning. It's got an awful lot to answer for, I'm yeah. afraid, Rob. Um, if you think about, you know, we've all, we, you know, we're, a, we're all a, a, of a certain age, yeah. you know, we've, we've grown up over, you know, the, the recent decades, uh, if you look at how men have been depicted in popular culture, by which I mean TV, movies, sport, entertainment, public life generally, the, 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 the figures, that I suppose the stereotypes that get presented, they tend to show men achieving good things um, by being strong, physically strong, and not showing weakness. And I think what then happens is that that then gets, it, it, that, those figures get coverage, you know, they get publicised through the rest of the media. I think that induces some peer pressure amongst men that say if we want to be you know, seen as good, well-performing, strong, then that's, those are the attitudes, that, the, the behaviours that we need to be demonstrating. And I think the peer pressure that that generates as a say-roll, I think has, a, has a, lot, there's a large part of the responsibility. Alongside that, you then have what we still see as unfortunately the stigma that's associated with mental health. So again, you look at how mental health has been depicted in popular culture over, over uh, you know, recent decades. And I think it is seen, it has been presented in quite a negative way. And I think if you put those two things together, then uh, men who are experiencing issues with their mental health are inclined to see that, uh, unfortunately, as a weakness, it induces feelings of shame and guilt and that runs counter to them openly talking about yeah. it and sharing about it and very importantly then seeking the, the help that they need. Uh, I think the final bit, uh, the, the final bit of it is that alongside that I think there's been a lack of good services, effective mm -hmm. services, no criticism of anybody at all but I think you know mental health has a long way to go in terms of uh, services to catch up with physical health. Um, the good news is that things are changing slowly, uh, but they are changing and I think that's been as a result of uh, a number of initiatives, including initiatives that we've taken forward within Solar Mind and the Mind Network generally, uh, such as the work that you've been leading on for us, Rob, and is demonstrated through Let's Talk Mate around uh, uh, men's mental health. I mean, definitely, I think you're right, you know, certainly in just in the last few years, there's been such a, you know, expansion in terms of support by the way, and the different kinds of support. I first started working in the sector in about 2012, and just in that time alone, yeah. I've seen, 
you know, so many new initiatives and so many new ways to try and reach people. Yeah. And I think that's important when we are kind of looking at those groups that are, or sections of society that are so, you know, a bit harder to reach. Mm. And that does include, you know, include men. And yeah, I remember going through services myself uh, when I was unwell and always being kind of struck by, you know, how if it was a therapy group or a peer support group, how I was often the only bloke there. Mm. I, mean, I think I am hopeful for the future mm. when we do look at the younger generations, you know. Mm. I think it does appear to be a bit easier and I'm a bit envious almost of how it's growing up now. Yeah, I think, I, I think that, that, that that's right and as I say, I think things are changing mm. and young, the younger generations that are coming through now, I think are inclined, from what I've seen, from you know, my perspective as CEO of a mental health charity, uh, what I've seen is that younger generations are, I think, more open to talking about mental health, and more open generally to sharing and talking about their feelings yeah. and their emotions. And I think that's because, you know, I talk about the world of TV movies and popular mm. culture, I think that is moving on as yeah. well, and there are more positive um, role models that are demonstrating greater openness to sharing and talking about emotions uh, and, and, and then I think that then engenders that kind of like reverse peer pressure yeah. if you see what I mean um, that will then encourage people you know rather yeah. than you know be you know, to, to, to keep quiet about it will encourage people to be more open about it. Definitely I mean growing up so I grew up in the 90s and you know before the internet was a thing and uh, you know mental health wasn't spoken about let alone you know, really kind of men struggling with mental health difficulties. So yeah, it's just amazing how far we have come. Yeah. Uh, but we need to go further. Oh, we really need to go further, Rob. Yeah. Uh, you know, the job is not done by yeah. any uh, margin at all. Um, I, I mean, one of the things that uh, always strikes me is um, the disparity between how we talk in society about mental health and physical health. Yeah. So if you just look at you know how we how we treat and how we talk about physical health. We're very very open about it. Uh, you know, I I mean I know I, I know I know what weight I should be for my height. I know the concept of BMI, you know, body mass index. I get lots of advice about nutrition, and we do, don't we? About you know we know there are things that we should avoid for our physical health, stay well. Red meat, salt, saturated fats—you know all of those things. We know we have a, the concept around alcohol, so we just try to stick within you know 21 units a week. We shouldn't smoke because it's a risk of giving me lung disease and cancer. And um, it's interesting driving to Southampton this morning. I was struck by signs, electronic signs, inside of it, telling me about the importance of breathing clean air. Yeah. You know, it's just all around us, and it's been mainstreamed. Yeah. You know, we don't just talk about physical health when we have an accident, you know, when I have a broken leg or I'm not well. We talk about it in the context of what we need to do to stay well. And where I think we're at with mental health, we, we for understandable reasons, because we're decades behind in terms of support, we still have to support the one in four that experience issues with mental health. Um, but where I think you know we, we need to move on from that is to is to just mainstream it, and we're talking about men, it's not we talk about mental health, not mental ill health. Yeah. All of us have mental health, and we all need to take responsibility for uh, looking after ourselves in the way that we do in relation to physical health. And I think if we can get there and mainstream mental health, and actually make it so that it's just cool, you know, to talk about mental health, mm -hmm. then. That is what I think will tip us, that will be the tipping point into hopefully getting more men 
accessing more preventive services earlier and we will see then a corresponding, I hope, a corresponding trade-off for the reduction in these you know, awful, alarming suicide and crisis rates. Definitely. I mean, so I think one thing that it's probably bears talking about, especially over the last couple of years, is obviously we've just, you know we've come through the pandemic, um, which has had a massive impact on everyone in the country. Yeah. It's been unavoidable. Mm. I mean, do you feel, just in terms of the impact that might have had on you know, on the on men's mental health anyway, do you, and on the services of course, do you feel there's you know that hurt, do you feel that might have impacted or kind of put us back a few steps? Yeah, I, I think there are pluses and minuses really. Um, uh, so uh, the, one of the things that, that we've learned from the pandemic is that it hasn't really created so, so much as like new um, inequalities, yeah. such as the inequality of access to sport from between men and women that we're talking about here. It hasn't really created new inequalities. It's just made more stark and compounded the fundamental inequalities that were there in the first place. And um, that, uh, I, I think, you know, if you, I mean, I am the eternal optimist and he's obviously to see things as an opportunity. I think what that's given us is more of an opportunity to you know to bang the drum for we really have to tackle now you know these issues of, of, of inequality. Um, and what we're what that is also driving is there is more money, there is more funding coming into mental health services through developments in the NHS. And we just need to make sure that this is channeled in the right way and that we don't develop mental health services of the future in a way that compounds, continues the inequalities, but helps us tackle those, those issues. And, and a big one of those is making sure that we do the sort of work that I'm talking about around raising the profile of men's mental health. Definitely. I mean, yeah, I think, you know, there can be silver linings. I've, I've known men, you know, friends of mine who've, who've actually kind of said to me at the beginning of the pandemic, you know, because mm -hmm. That it was, you know, the worry and the anxiety it's called, it was actually kind of got them to think about, well, oh, maybe I do need to talk to someone, and that's like for the first time, it was the first time mm. I'd ever heard them kind of admit that to me. So mm. it's, you know, I think if anything, the pandemic may have just highlighted that importance of communication and, and talking to each other, you know, especially when we've all been, you know, kind of cooped up in our homes. Yeah, no, I think, I, I think that's right. And I think it's important for people because you know there are you know we work in a mental health charity, so we're a bit closer, Rob, to people being more yeah. open to talking about these things. I know when I speak to people in other organisations, there's still a lot of concern about being open, mm. um, but for men who feel that if they're open in their corporate workplace about how they're feeling, they may be prejudiced by that in terms yeah. of their career, you know, options and and so on. so it remains a really great issue. Uh, I know that from, from from people that I've that, that I've spoken to. Um, so, you know, we, we have to keep going at this. Mm. We, 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 we have to make sure that we're um, encouraging, right across industry, um, we're encouraging um, good leadership, I think, at the top of organisations, setting the tone for the culture within those organisations so that people who are feeling unwell or are concerned about uh, their mental health can be open about it. Brilliant. 
But I think, you know, we've already touched on what, you know, what, for example, Sound of Mind yeah. or other, you know, mental health organisations up and down the country can do in terms of, you know, we can be that driving force in trying to mainstream it, as, as, as you quite rightly said, mm-hmm. you know, and, you know, and not just in terms of trying to get that message out to people who may be accessing our services, but to other organisations, you know, mm-hmm. maybe in the private sector, trying to get, to get them to, you know, to look at how they treat mental health mm-hmm. in the workplace. Mm-hmm. I guess for anyone just kind of watching, to, uh, maybe to sum up, for anyone watching at home today or listening to this, uh, you know, over Spotify over the weekend, yeah. uh, for people, I guess what, would you have any tips for, you know, your everyday people just getting out there, you know, getting on with their nine to five, you know, or kind of just getting on with their, you know, their family lives. How would, you know, how would you, kind of, any tips for them in terms of how they can, you know, play their part and just, again, encourage that, you know, that discourse and, you know, and again, just, yeah, really mainstreaming it. Yeah, I, I think everyone has a responsibility in this, mm-hmm. everyone does. And uh, I, I think what I would say for, if people are feeling unwell or concerned about their mental health, you don't need to go, but for all the reasons we've talked about, feeling reticent about mm-hmm. talking about it is understandable. Yeah. That's fair. So don't, you know, don't. Nobody should be beating themselves yeah. up because they're not feeling comfortable about talking about their mental health. Yeah. That's the first thing. So, and it's not necessary to go from that reticence to, you know, speaking to the world about it yeah. in, on camera <laughs> in, a, in a podcast. Nobody's expecting you to do that. Yeah. Um, but you know, have a think about. Um, maybe you know you can open a conversation. You know, was not and not necessarily in a group of men at the pub or with yeah. the football team or whatever. Um, but just you know, someone who's who's close to you or in, in your friendship circle or, or or who you feel is is would be a person receptive to a conversation and start it small and build up to it. You know, it's not something that you have to take a big bang approach to. Yeah. But everything, all my experience and all the people that I've spoken to in my time. With solar mind, all the evidence supports that if you open, have that conversation. You know, we talk about it being it being good to talk, and seriously, it is. You know, problem. What is the phrase? Problem. Area of the problem. All that sort of yeah. stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so I think that 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 is a benefit to people, and I would say um, encourage people, uh, uh, not your, just yourself, but encourage those around you um, to be open to those conversations. And if someone tries. To open that conversation mm. with with uh, any of us, then be receptive to that. Give it time because it's important. Brilliant. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak to us today, Kevin. Pleasure, and Rob. thank you for all your ongoing support with everything we're trying to achieve of Let's Talk, mate, and uh, and spread the health up in so and mind. Uh, yeah, and uh, uh, yeah, you're uh, absolutely welcome to come on the episodes in the future if you want to. As oh, well. very happy to do that. Um, and thanks to you, Rob, for all the great work that you're thank doing you. uh, for us on men's mental health. Hello everybody, we are back, or for most of you, we are here for the first time, as we learnt during the interval that indeed there were some technical difficulties, which meant we haven't been going live for this time. Um, But we are here now um, to recap on what you have missed. We will be putting up the full version of the podcast on Sunday, so anything you have missed, you can go back and watch. You missed about half of the Kevin interview, and you missed us basically giving a little summary of... Um, all the previous Let's Talk mates, as well as Rob talking about his sponsored silence. Um, so if you do want to go back and listen to any of that, please do. It'll be up live, uh, not live, because this was meant to be live, but this is now live. 
Um, but I'll just give a quick bit of a spiel because we obviously, if you're joining us now, you might not have heard, well, you wouldn't have heard because only us three heard in the room. Um, but we'll give a little quick intro to everyone that is here. And first of all, I'd just like to thank Solent University for allowing us to use the radio studios and Novatech for sponsoring the podcast. This is, of course, Let's Talk Mate Solent Minds Men's Mental Health Chat. My name is Sam Clark. I'm the Digital Content Officer um, for Solent Mind. I'm joined by two regulars on the podcast. Um, first of all, Rob, if you'd like to quickly in- reintroduce yourself. Yeah, hi, I'm Rob Emy. I lead the community peer recovery team for Solent Mind in Portsmouth. And Lachlan. Hi, everyone. My name's Lachlan, and I'm an outreach coordinator for iTalk, which is the NHS talking therapy service for Hampshire. Um, and yeah, just to get into it, so again, as, you, as we said, you have missed um, us and a rundown on all the podcasts we've done previously. Um, but you've come just in time to get some questions in. And these, some of these questions have come from you. And if you would like, if you haven't got a question in, in time, but you would like to drop in a question in the comments, I'm looking at the comments screen right now. Um, so you can drop questions in and we will ask, answer them live. Um, the first question I wanted to kind of bring up, because it tied in us um, to one of our previous podcasts in sport and mental health, which Lachlan featured on, Um it's a question that came to us via Instagram, I believe. It's like, how do you feel the play-on attitude that exists in some sports in regards to physical health can translate to mental health, especially when it's ingrained from a young age? Um, it's quite an interesting kind of thing to ponder, and I, I know, Lachlan, you've had some thoughts on it as well, um, it, just in discussions just before the podcast started. Yeah, um, I think, you know, it, generally that's that kind of message encourages men, I think, to neglect their mental well-being and, and maybe think of it quite reactively like mm. only sort of um only maybe seeking help once they literally cannot function at all yeah. um and just trying to power through and keep going for as long as they can i'm not sure that's entirely healthy i'm not sure to be honest that in the the, the, the physical sides of how many professional sports look after their players is healthy in the first place to be honest um but yeah, certainly, certainly around mental health and men's mental health, um, I, I do worry about that message. Yeah, and I do think in general, like sport is like it can it can be such a thing because sport and exercise in general is something that we try to encourage mm. for people in terms of looking after their mental health and their mental well being. But within sport, sometimes, especially I think it's safe to say in a lot of men's team sports, there does become sometimes a negative rhetoric that comes around. I think it is getting better. You see a lot of, especially footballers, high-profile footballers now, talking about their mental health. Mm. But traditionally, I know, it, but like even like a few years ago, and even now you see it when a footballer talks about their mental health, it's like, well, you're playing football for a living. What do you have to be depressed about? And that attitude, in general, it comes across a lot. Like, what do you have to be depressed about? It's like, well, nothing in particular, really. You can, yeah. it's not, that's not how that works. Yeah. It's, it's sort of the point in a way, isn't <laughs> yeah. it? You know, it's that, that's why it's an illness because mm. it's not necessarily linked to any one thing um, or it doesn't have to be anyway. Um, yeah, and just thinking about the kind of uh, rising profile of, uh, of mental health in sport, you know, I was just thinking about the, the, Wales, the Wales supporters now, the, they, they stop and stand up, don't they, on the 85th minute to respect Gary Speed, who tragically took his own life, of course. But, um, you know, hopefully, hopefully the increased awareness and talking about men's mental health will prevent tragedies like that mm. from happening so frequently in future. Yeah, it's, I mean, I can't talk from any other team sports because football is more, you know, what I've grown up watching. But 
remember growing up in the 90s um it seemed at one point it seemed like every other week there was uh you know there was a premiership footballer who was in the news having you know a bit of a, a crisis whether it was around gambling drugs alcohol which and you know and, and again linking into their mental well-being you know because generally now what we know is that they were using these as, as you know as albeit destructive coping techniques yeah. you know and and it just you know and there's been some yeah there was some quite really high profile cases um you know one that always sticks out to me not just because he was a Portsmouth captain uh, uh, being a Portsmouth fan myself was Paul Merson in the 90s who's been very very open now about talking about his you know his mental health struggles over the years um it is encouraging when you see you know nowadays with the modern game you know a lot of the you know a lot of the players now are being you know a lot more kind of open about their mental health uh solar mind have fantastic relationships with you know both the two kind of really like local yeah. football league teams and it is you know even just when you see the the mind squiggle on the back of the football shirts yeah you know it's really encouraging but yeah it's it's amazing how far we've come but there is still a long you know a long way to go yeah. um we just had a question in the chat um from holly what can, what can friends and family do to help men that they think may be struggling um, and this kind of links into another question we've got, so I do want to link it into that. Um, and it's a question of how how important is it to avoid a one-fits-all approach mm. to mental health recovery? And I think those two can link in quite a lot because mm. the answer is there's no one answer. Um, but I think, I think for me, I can only speak for me personally, and maybe that's the best way we can do it is each of us speak from a personal point of view. And like again, just to clarify, this isn't going to cover every man, mm-hmm. but for me... I need people to be direct with me and ask very directly because I will scoot around it if you give me any room to scoot around it. If you just say, oh, how are you feeling? I'll be like, oh, yeah, no, I'm fine. I'm just tired. Mm. Something like that. Whereas if you go, no, like, is your mental health taking a bit? Be very direct with it. And for some people, being direct probably won't work. It might scare them off. But for me personally, if you give me room to scoot around the question, if you give me room to avoid it, I probably will. Mm. So being very direct and just saying... I is it getting to you now? Are you? Is it really starting to get to you? Like, please tell me if it is, kind of thing. That's personally what would help me. Um, I don't know if there's any other methods that you two would prefer. Go first. I'll let you go first, Rob, because I've got a related, quite a kind of point that I wanted to okay. raise. But yeah, I'll let you go first. Thank you. So, I think with me, yeah, sometimes I am also, you know, I'm someone who. I did a very good job of kind of hiding things even though I was you know very openly kind of for a long time you know starting to talk about my own mental health difficulties to the point where I was I remember it's like a few years back I was working in a role where I was you know it had peer in a job title so my job role referred to the fact that I had lived experience yeah. but I still you know I when people ask me how are you doing yeah I would skirt around it I wasn't being open I was being honest so sometimes yeah gently ch- gently challenging me works it's like yeah. just asking you so you know it's okay don't be never be afraid to ask yeah. that's what I'd say and take the time to listen and you know unjudgmentally that's what I'd say as well don't feel you have to fix everything as well yeah because you know um, sometimes you you know, you can't fix things. Sometimes we'll just want someone to listen to us and, you know, just to kind of do a bit of a brain dump, you know, I 
had an uh, you know i was a few weeks back i was having a bit of a particularly stressful time and yeah i just took the opportunity just to kind of let it just you know let it all out just kind of get everything out and verbalize it all to my partner and she didn't try and solve things she just sat there she listened and i think just yeah giving that unjudgmental ear giving us the space space to talk and uh for other men maybe who are listening to this as well um maybe just kind of think about you know some of the language we use and and again it's you know i i was thinking about this earlier in my conversation with kevin the ceo i didn't get a chance to use it but you know i don't know if either of you guys have ever had kind of very well-meaning friends you know just be like well you know just cheer up cheer up it's only yeah. <laughs> you know or if any either of you have ever, ever had the thing the, the whole dreaded phrase of man up yeah. so maybe mm-hmm. you know think about the language you are using sometimes and you know just give us that space to be to be open and, and to be vulnerable give us a spe- give men the space to be vulnerable i think yeah mm-hmm. and i think again with other men like one thing that i found that allows my friends to open up who normally aren't as much as when i start talking about my own stuff that's when they'll start going mm-hmm. Oh yeah, no, yeah, I felt that too. Rather than them having to go, oh, I feel like this. Mm. If I start talking about my own stuff, they then have almost it almost gives them a way to describe how they're feeling when they may not have had it before. Mm. So again, that could work um, for some men. If you start talking about yourself, mm. um, it may feel like a selfish thing to do at the time, but it not, sometimes does actually come out with a better outcome. Um, and yeah, they will then go, oh yeah, that is how I feel as well. And it, it gives them language to use mm. versus them trying to figure out for themselves mm. how they want to say this. I think Kevin Nassier used to frame mainstreaming it yeah. earlier, just mm. making those conversations normal. You know, make normalizing those conversations is one of the biggest thing that anyone, regardless of whether they've got a public profile or not, or whether they're just your friend or a relative can do. Yeah, yeah I totally agree. I think I think we, we can be role models and you know, f- for our friends by having those conversations and and normalizing it as you said I, I think you've both you've both done a really good job of kind of summarizing some really healthy approaches to encouraging men mm. to seek support but uh, i just wanted to sort of caveat that by saying that sometimes it can be frustrating because you're worried about somebody and and you want them to get support but but they won't and i think it's important to recognize that you can't always force people to get the support that you you think they might benefit from and I think it's important to recognise that um, mental health, it can be a bit of a journey. I, I don't always like that metaphor. It's a little bit corny maybe, but you know, it can take some time to come to terms and to understand your own experience and then get support in your own time when you're feeling safe. Um, so maybe from the perspective of somebody who is worried about um, a male friend or family member, maybe don't put too much pressure on yourself. I just try to keep that in mind that you know it's not up to you and and actually people won't recover unless they're actively involved in it anyway yeah um and i think that also links into another question um that we've got as as people in the mental health industry as all three of us are now have you found men in your life coming up to you as kind of a first um port of call almost a kind of um i'll say i want to say safe safer bet Uh, it's like they know you're in the industry and they want to start there almost um is that something you've experienced in since you've started working in industry i would say for me definitely there's been occasions when people have whether it's it's not always 
you know, for advice for them. It could be they've been concerned about, you know, other mutual friends and they'll be like, oh, well, well, I know you work in this sector. What would you do? What would you advise? And, you know, it's... One thing I would say is that people who have come to me about that, I have had male friends or kind of acquaintances come to me to speak about that, but I have still seen more. It's been maybe, you know, my my female friends who have still so i'm still seeing that disparity even there yeah it's i i get, I get that it's it's challenging sometimes but then also i get i wonder sometimes i you know i have some friends who will say oh i don't want to come go and speak to you about this because i know you deal with this on a daily basis uh for you know for your work so yeah i get i get a bit of both so a bit of both ways myself yeah i think i'd, I'd always prefer people to to talk to me than than kind of hold off out of worrying how I might react or whether yeah. I've got too much on my own shoulders. Um, I think working in mental health, you you develop your own skills and ability to manage your own mm. well-being. So um, for me, it's never a problem. I'm always happy to hear from friends who might be struggling. It, it doesn't happen as much as I might expect in some ways. Yeah. Um, but... Um, yeah, I, I think f- for me at least, because I'm not, I'm not a therapist. I'm not a practitioner of any kind. It's more like I work in the industry, but I'm I'm working with the community really. Um, I, I don't tend to give advice as such. I'm more about just being somebody who's there to listen. I think anyone can do that. Yeah. You know, listen empathetically and openly, non-judgmentally, and then just helping them. Um, find the right support that they might need um so it can be as simple as sitting with someone while they make Mm -hmm. a phone call being a bit of moral support there um just checking in with them to find out how things have been going you know did they manage to get through to that service have they seen their gp you know things like that not in a nagging hassling way but just in a checking in you know um so i think it can be for, for me um, I feel like I can be useful because I know what's out there and I think that that can be quite a difficult thing maybe as a as an industry we need to get better about um, promoting and, and helping people to understand what services are out there I think definitely yeah there's always room for improvement and I, I kind of like try and follow the same tact with you so I'm you know I'm always happy for any of my friends to come and talk, speak to me if they are struggling and you know and I'll you know, if there's ever a time when I have too much going on, you know, or if my glass is a bit empty, then, you know, I will I will say. But, yeah, it's being able, you know, to me, it's, and I'm sure to yourself as well, it's very, we, we it's second nature. We know what's around us in the local area. You know, if someone, if I know, if someone I know is struggling, I know where to signpost. I know where to signpost them for the, you know, local psychological therapies or, you know, or certain support groups. Uh, yeah, it's difficult, though, if a lot of the time people just don't know where to turn. So, yeah, it's, yeah, it's such a, but again, yeah, hopefully, you know, the more we normalise these conversations and mainstream it, you know, mm. the more that, can, you know, the easier it will be for people to find those. To, to find those resources as needed yeah. and i think again this kind of links back to the original question from holly mm. as well is this um one thing that my partner did for me when i was really struggling um 
think it was last year or two years ago. Mm. All the years mold into one at this point. I don't really know, <laughs> especially <laughs> the pandemic years. So yeah. Who knows what that was? <laughs> um, but you know, I struggled to kind of. I always struggle with the stage of like actually looking for the best place where I could go for help because that is a process in itself. Um, but she did. She found a few options. She sent me this one where I was like, oh, this one you just need to fill out an online form. Um, so that's quite easy for you. You don't have to phone anyone, whatever else. So if you just want to do that. And then she sat with me and helped me fill out an online form. And that's a very simple thing to be able to do, but it just takes so much off that person's shoulder in terms of like, oh, I don't have to like Google and find mm. this. And, oh, this one only does phone calls. I don't really feel like phoning anyone. Yeah. Or this one only does this. Um, and yeah, that was something that she did for me, which was really simple, really sweet. And it ended up with me getting a course of CBT, um, which was very helpful for me. So yeah, again, kind of links into both questions a little bit. Mm. Um, but yeah, stuff like that is very simple, very easy to do. And also to link into that thing of finding resources, we actually had um, Alice Hendy, who founded Ripple in on our suicide prevention episode, um, bonus episode a few months ago. Um, and she's um, come up with this idea from um, the unfortunate death of her brother um, to have this browser extension which when you're searching for harmful content online will come up with a load of resources which comes, mm. which can be such a helpful thing for someone who's in that mindset. When I don't have to Google it, it's, there's a list of it there that they can then sort through, yeah. which makes a huge difference. So if you haven't already, go back to that suicide prevention episode. Um, and even if you don't go back and this whole thing, down in the description, there's a link to Ripple. It's a very, very good thing to download and to put onto your computer software. Or if you're a parent, put onto your uh, teenage computer software, whatever it is very very good thing to have and Alice is a wonderful person who's done really well with that mm. um, so just give a call out to her just wondering if before we move on it's worth um, just saying that if if you are feeling a bit lost and you're not sure where to turn um, a really good starting point is to see your GP I know it's it's not always that easy to to get a GP appointment mm. maybe um, at the moment but um, you know receptionists do take it seriously gps take it seriously and they will they will get you an appointment yeah. so uh do be open and uh, do reach out to them if you need some support it can be a really good starting point yeah. also as well just to kind of as, as another plug while we're plugging things <laughs> as well um obviously you know it's something like we have to charity is so this isn't you know isn't a crisis service but if you're maybe just wanting to find out what is available for you in the local area or talk to someone as i mine now have a hampshire ride helpline as well uh which you know is manned by our staff and you know vast majority if not all of the people manning our helpline as well will have some will have some degree of lived experience uh, with mental health difficulties themselves so another really kind of useful resource out there have a look at the solar mind website the number will be up there yeah and the number and not only we've also got a web chat that's just recently come out as well mm. so again as i referenced earlier if you're not the kind of person who wants to go on a phone call <laughs> um which i'm very much that person there is a there is a web chat as well as both our crisis services in both Portsmouth and Southampton, yeah. the harbour in Portsmouth and the lighthouse in Southampton. Um, the the uh, harbour will be open right now and um, more or less throughout the weekend. So again, check the times of the open. And again, the lighthouse is open all week. Check the times, the exact times that it's open on the website. Yeah. Um, so let's move on. And again, I... Um, I'll give a pr quick pre-warning to this question before we get into it. We will be talking a little bit about self-harm. So if that's something that you don't want to hear right now, um, please feel free to click off, mute us, 
um, you know, if it, you can come back another time and listen to other stuff, or you can go back to other podcasts and listen to topics that might not be as triggering for you, but we are going to be talking about self-harm at the moment. Um, so yeah, the next question is, is it important to acknowledge forms of self-harm outside of those that are often associated with self-harm, especially around conversations with men? For example, men might be more likely to punch the wall or mm. some other form of self-harm. And that's something that really get uh, a bit too close to home in some ways because I know I've catch myself talking about myself like being like oh I've not self-harmed in this amount of time when I'm referring to say cutting myself and that's mm. the more direct firm form of self-harm but then not realising that oh no I have like scratched my face or I have punched myself or something like that but for whatever reason I don't associate that with self-harm necessarily I don't know if it's because it seems like it's more done out of anger than it is mm. self-harm motivations or what it is but it's important to acknowledge because that is pro probably be the m kind of methods that you more see with men than the more traditional ones that are talked about. Yeah. And again, yeah, you talk about the punch. Well, that as soon as I saw that on the screen earlier, that really kind of hit a chord with me. Um, I have, I've never, you know, cut myself, about myself, but I, I can't remember when exactly it was. Um, it, um, it was some point, after about 2011 I, you know my mental health was just really starting to tank in some ways and yeah I just realised that I constantly almost not constantly but very often just like getting used to having like bruises and my looks like I just yeah for me I just I reached that point I needed a release and it was yeah that was that was my go-to self-harm I didn't really I didn't think about it as self-harm for the longest time uh, for quite a while until I was like oh yeah actually you know it is and it's I remember leaving a night out because I had a, I'd had a panic attack and not having as I left it and not I hadn't really told anyone why I was leaving <laughs> and I remember just as I was walking home just like punching lampposts and things on the way home because I was so angry and frustrated myself it's yes I think it is worth I think we do need to kind of maybe re-examine you know what is self-harm a lot of people do just think about it as cutting yeah. and it can be not just kind of punching walls or you know self-harm could be like you know it could be could be going out and drinking to excess mm. you know something like that it could be, just be just destructive behaviours and it's something that I think we do need to, again, maybe, I don't know if it's been something that's been more, you know, maybe not linked with men as much as it should be. But, yeah, I think we really need to kind of widen that discussion. I think one that I will say that I used to do, which, again, I didn't think of self-harm for the longest time, is when I'll get in the shower, I'll turn the heat quite far up, mm -hmm. like to the point where it is burning my skin. Yeah. And I didn't think of that as self-harm. I just thought, oh, it's just, you know, I'm just doing it because mm -hmm. I'm frustrated or whatever it is. But then when you look back, it's like, oh, yeah, that's a form of self-harm. It's not and it's not something that I ever heard anyone talk about until I started doing it. But now you look mm. at it, and it is a form of self-harm. So, yeah, definitely widen the discussion on that. And I know Lachlan, yeah. even before we came on, you kind of started talking about how some eating disorders will also fall into the idea of self-harm as well. Yeah, potentially. Um, yeah, I mean, certainly periods in my life where I would punish myself by restricting um, how much I was eating um, and, and also I found with exercise at times um, 
when I was having a really tough time only about a year ago, um, I uh, I definitely overtrained and used that mm. as kind of a, almost a kind of self self punishment at times. You know, I was tired and in pain, and I would still force myself to go out. Mm. And um, you know, it's uh, it's a, it's a strange one because you know exercise should be something that's quite healthy you know in in the right balance and the right moderation it, it's a healthy thing um it can be a very satisfying thing that gives you a lot of purpose um but it can be destructive if if you push it in certain ways i think so uh maybe that's something that mm. men and women uh i think need to be conscious of sometimes yeah definitely i i just go back i'm remembering the anger episode I, I hosted now and i remember like uh, one of the sound bites that uh, you came up with sam with me was about you know don't lift angry when you're in the yeah. gym i remember talking about when i would go to the gym and sometimes it can it can be a really useful outlet to go like oh i've had a crap day i'm gonna go and get the, the adrenaline going and but you've got to be mindful of that kind of of what you know what's going on because it is yeah it can be so easy to uh, you know to overdo it and into yourself to overtrain i mean i talked about it quite jokingly on that episode i mean you know about going when i was too angry and then the next day walking like a refrigerator but <laughs> uh, it's yeah it's again it's you know it's just again it's just re-examining how we think about what is self-harm what does it mean you know it can yeah encapsulate from from eating restrictive eating punching over drinking harmful risky behaviors mm-hmm. and you know and yeah over exercising it's it's i think it's one of those things it's been a very maybe the conversation about it's just been overly simplistic yeah. over the years and maybe that's part of again just that ongoing stigma and people not wanting to talk about it and delve into the issues and i guess like stuff like cutting is the most visual thing you could potentially Mm. see or the least excusable thing you can see because there's not a lot of other stuff that could be whereas you know if you've punched yourself and you've got a black eye especially as a man most Mm. times oh, i just got into a bit of a got into a bit of a thing at the weekend or you know you could say it's from sports like i know like I know rugby players on often come back with black eyes with whatever reason so they can put it down to that um, so yeah, there's a lot of things, and yeah, definitely extending the conversation and extending the understanding of what self harm is, and you know, not because once you're when you're in denial about that kind of thing and not thinking they're self harming behaviours, you almost justify yourself continually doing them. Um, okay. As soon as you realise what they are, it can put you a bit more perspective, and you go, okay, yeah, I need to start yeah. finding healthier outlets. Um, let's go on to this question because it's probably one that we're probably going to have a whole episode on this at some point or the other <laughs> because it has come up on pretty much every single episode we've spoken about but how do you feel social media has affected um men's mental health specifically in this point oh, you know it's it's a double-edged sword to use a very kind of old cliche it really is um we're actually on social media at the moment. Yeah, this so. is the thing. Here we are. <laughs> we're on social. You know, we're on social media. We've released every. You know, we've released all the previous episodes via our Facebook channel and Spotify. It's. It can be a tool for so much good, and especially in you know making the conversations accessible. You know, someone can. Someone, someone can, doesn't even have to be following a certain page, but their friend or family member could share something 
you know, a short video or clip about someone talking about mental health awareness or something, and they can see that and it can strike a chord and it can be amazing. But there is a very dark side to social media as well. And, you know, it can, like everything in life, I think it's being mindful of how it's being mindful of how you use it when you use it you know like with the gym it can be so great to go to the gym uh, when you're feeling low it can pick you up but you've got to be aware you know of things as well because it can easily go down a bit of a slippery slope you know and same with social media it's it's an amazing tool but I think the thing that always sticks for me is like someone said you know social media isn't real it's not a real kind of reflection of everyday everyone's everyday life so it's remembering it's like don't buy into it too much it's you know uh, and i think i'm you know maybe it's just being a, a slightly younger i am very quick to defend social media in a lot of ways <laughs> i obviously i understand the the, the negatives but as someone mm. um, who's part of the lgbt community growing up in an area of southeast london mm. where there wasn't anyone who I knew of who was also LGBT. Oh, on social media was the first place where I met people who were like mm. me, and on social media was the first place where I had, you know, kind of true friendships in a lot of yeah. way. Um, so I think it is always important to highlight the importance of social media to a lot of communities, and I know yeah. to a lot of other people it might just be more negative than it is positive. Mm. But to a lot of communities, it is that safe place. Um, yeah. But I and one thing that I found in my social media experience is. There was a time when that was my kind of only out there, the mm. only friends I had on social media, more or less. It, as much as it was good to have that friends at least, it did have a negative effect on me in the fact that what, what was the point in going outside because everyone's in mm. here kind of thing. Mm. Um, and being able to have the balance of both has been really helpful and the thing that I've always tried to do on my social media because I find social media in general, it's people's highlight reels. And I think that's the important thing yes. to mention is it's their best bits. It's, mm. So when you look at someone's social media feed, that's not necessarily comparable to what you're living right now. Because <coughs> if you, even if you look at your own social media feed, it probably looks all very good. It looks like a great life to most people looking at it. But to you comparing it to... So comparing someone's really good night out or mm. really good weekend away to your lonely weekend at home... Mm. isn't a fair comparison yeah you can't make that comparison and one thing that i've been doing on my social media for well for a good couple of years now is i'll use that you know those instagram stories to sometimes put up oh, i'm in a really really bad mood um don't know why but just in case anyone else is scrolling through and is in a bad mood too they know that too and i try to make my social media a little bit less of a highlight reel obviously still the main feed mm. i'm not going to start putting up really <laughs> like whatever things but like on, at least on my stories and stuff like that I try to be honest with how I'm feeling and obviously sometimes you just don't want to do that because you don't want to be flooded with those messages like are you okay are you okay mm -hmm. um, but I think sometimes just putting up saying that you're feeling a bit rubbish saying you're feeling this that or the other on your social media one person could go, scroll through that and think oh okay so it's not just me it's not just me that feels like that and I, I really enjoy using my social media for that reason I've mm -hmm. had a lot of good conversations that have spawned from it so um, it's definitely a double-edged sword, as you've said. Um, mm. There's p positives and negatives to social media. Mm. I had a, a previous partner who spoke very openly on the social media, on a Facebook account. This was back in the days when it was just Facebook. Yeah. Um, about, you know, admissions to a psychiatric ward. She spoke very openly about that. 
and you know things like that can be so powerful and again you know we why are we doing this today is because we're trying to encourage more men to speak up about mental health you know it can have so much power i mean i'm again like you like yourself sam you know there's been times when i've been like actually yeah i'm going to talk about how i'm feeling i'm feeling really low i'm going to put it out there and it's not only you know obviously it makes my friends and family aware that okay maybe i'm not in a great place but again it's getting those conversations out there normalizing them and you know hopefully if you know i'm what you know one of my hopes is you know if people see um this kind of big i'm a big softy just to put this out there but if anyone <laughs> knows me they know i'm a big softy but if you see me just walking down the street you might see a six foot four kind of broad shaved head big beard and think oh he looks a bit scary he looks a bit rough so you know I'm, you know i'm hoping you know if someone sees me see someone looking like myself speaking on on social media about you know about being about being vulnerable i'm hoping that will have that ripple effect out there and you know just um just to add um i almost want to play devil's advocate a little bit <laughs> yeah, uh, um i think that yeah we, we've we've touched a lot on the content your, your point about the highlight reel and things yeah. like that and how that can be really damaging um there's also people talk about the structure of how social media works yeah. the dopamine cycle you get caught scrolling and you can't stop yeah. but i do think sometimes that some of the media um coverage of social media sort of overstates how damaging it is and sort of um, almost treats it as a scapegoat and maybe that lets lets some things off the hook a little bit that we should be thinking about in society about how that feeds into mental health um, so uh, I, I I'm, I'm reluctant to, when these when these conversations come up to blame social media yeah. too much for for mental health problems in society yeah and I've I think in general what people forget is social media is just a reflection of society mm. in a lot of ways. You know, some things are highlighted, some things are made easier. You know, you talk about the anonymous profiles and whatever else, it's easier to abuse people and whatever else. Mm. But these are still people behind these accounts that live in the society. So it's still a problem within society. It's not, I don't, it, the way it's talked about sometimes is that these people only exist on the internet. These yeah. really, yeah. That if they're in, on the internet, they're real people who you've walked past in the shops or whatever else as well. So as much as, yeah, there is stuff that people, that social medias need to do to be able to track accounts a little bit more. Mm -hmm. Again, there's some problematic nature about that where people are like, no anonymous accounts. Well, again, I go back to LGBT people who haven't come out. There's, there's sometimes a need for a certain amount of anonymity for those kind of people. There does have to be more to be done. Um, there has to be more done to hide certain content. If when I put up a story about so about COVID nineteen, a warning instantly comes up, yeah. saying yeah. warning COVID nineteen. Why can't they do that with other types of content? They do it on Canva. Yeah, so <laughs> it's not even social media. <laughs> yeah, so like why why if it's that easy to track that thing, why can they not do it when racist abuse comes up yeah. or homophobic abuse or refer references to self-harm why can't they put the same technology that they've used to do this COVID-19 thing into mm. other things that's a grand topic for people that probably is a lot smarter than I am but regardless um, that's the, the social media discussion I do feel as I say we're on social media right now and we yeah. wouldn't be able to have this conversation <laughs> with this many people without social media so I do get 
a little bit defensive. It's, well, yeah. it's my kind of my day job as well, so I do get a little bit defensive <laughs> over social media. But again, that's the important thing is where it's my day job, I do have to take time to switch off of it because mm. otherwise I could be on social media literally 24-7. Mm. So I make a very much point of like, especially my work social media, that's only on my work phone, that's only on my work, um, on my work laptop. So as soon as I've closed my laptop screen down, I've turned my work phone off, I don't touch it. Um, and I think that's an important thing to be able to have those times. Well, I look at my, um, you know, you get the screen time reports on iPhones now, and I always look at that and go, oh, I've only done like four and a half hours this week. Good good for me, <laughs> that kind of thing. And it's kind of nice to be able to work that down as well. Yeah. It's it's definitely it has some huge benefits. I mean, it's it's about, about everything, like balance, balance. Um, but, yeah, you're right, you know, we would not be, we wouldn't be able to get this we wouldn't be able to get this out there we, if we didn't have, you know, if social media hadn't like, come along. And you, know, I've, I've probably sounded like a bit like a broken record, but I, I know I keep on mentioning the generational thing today. Mm. You know, for, you know, for someone like me who's in his late thirties, you know, growing up. No, no, late thirties. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm, you know, I'm close to forty to thirty now, and growing up in the nineties, you know, my first mobile phone was a brick. You know, I remember dial-up internet and all this <laughs> stuff, and and again, you know, I think, you know, I've, I, it does, at least to me, as someone who's a bit older, it does appear that you know the conversations about mental health are more frequent, more honest, and happening more amongst the young generation, and and that's probably has been facilitated by you know social media, and although I get a bit, I can I can barely cope with anything other than Facebook. It does kind of <laughs> you know that you know, it does give me it it's definitely, yeah, it has its benefits and I think it's you know, for someone like yourself, Sam, you know it's probably as you said, it was for it was so beneficial for you and you know, in terms of finding that support network. Yeah, and I think that's why I always like to make sure that like the narrative around social media isn't all negative. Yeah. We all understand where the negatives are but we can talk about the positives as well. Yeah. A couple of questions just to end us, and I think I want to link these two a little bit together, and I think mm. they're good questions to end on as well. Um, first one is, um, is there any well-being tips that you use when you're having a bad day? And the second one is, what started you on your journey of being more open about your mental health and well-being? Mm. Um, I was kind of start with that. My journey has kind of started, I feel like for a period of time, I was very good at talking about once I'd gotten over a certain period of my life, then talking about it. Um, so like I'll talk about like, oh, I went through like a really bad stage last year and I talked very openly about that, but never talk about while I was in that moment. Mm. But in the last couple of years, especially again, when I made that association thing, oh, the highlight reel. Oh, I can break, I can kind of break that cycle a little bit. And just in general, like using the right language um, as being with my other half for almost two years now has brought me up a little bit of that being a lot more open with my family about everything. Um, but it's, it's basically since university where I had noticed I failed my first year of university due to mental health problems. And it kind of really struck home because I got to the end of the year, um, failed my year and said to my family about mental health problems. And they were like, they were so confused because they didn't think that there was any problems at all. They thought mm. I was getting on fine down here. Um, so I think that really struck a chord. It was like, wow, like, they had no idea that I was going through this. They had no idea that mm. I was struggling to the point where I failed my first year of university. And that, and it made me go, wow, I really do need to have this conversation more with people. Um, in terms of things I do, 
Um, I'm a comfort eater more than anything. <laughs> I love. Uh, I like to get like a little prepped meal. Like you go kind of like enchilada kit, fajitas kits. I like because it gives you a bit of a distraction when you're cooking it up and whatever else. And then you know you've got the food at the end of it. And like you know, I really go into my comfort. So I've got my comfort snacks. I've got my comfort drinks. Um, I've got my comfort TV shows, and that's what I really go into when I'm having that particularly bad day. And sometimes just going, you know, today's not the one. I'll start again tomorrow. And think sometimes just accepting the bad day and accepting it's a bad mood can be really helpful for moving on the next day. Yeah. Definitely, yeah. I th- I think for me, it, my my journey was sort of. I think it was almost like I realised at a certain point that um, I sort of couldn't hide it. So um, it made no sense to try and pretend that it that it wasn't something that I have to manage. And, uh, you know, I just decided to be authentic, really, um, because ultimately that was going to be easier, you know, probably. And, you know, it, it, it doesn't ma- it doesn't make a lot of sense looking at who I am and, and the the course that my life has taken unless you factor in the mental health experiences and things like that. The, the fact that I've ended up in this in this role uh and and the fact that i'm so passionately committed to it and things like that it's not easy to explain without taking into the fact taking into account the fact that i've had those experiences as well um in terms of well-being tips i think i i tend to notice that i start to feel bad um again when i start to lose that balance in my life and it's something i've touched on already in in this uh, in this episode but I quite like the five ways to well-being it's something you can google um, quite easily um, and and it's it's all just about thinking about the, the balance in your life are, are you do, do you have meaningful social relationships are you socializing enough with those people are you doing things that that give you satisfaction and help you feel like you're learning something new are you active enough? Are you getting enough exercise? Are you getting out the house at least enough? You know, all these kinds of things that can be a really useful starting point for just reflecting on, you know, if you're feeling rubbish, maybe you haven't been getting out enough that week. And maybe that's something you need to kind of introduce a bit more of the next week, you know. So um, I find that quite a helpful structure to use. Yeah. I think uh, just before I dive into my... I, just, I feel only it's only right just to put a, again a bit of a trigger warning on yeah. on my one because it was quite a, a traumatic episode that kind of really kind of set me off on the journey. Um, <clears throat> so again, uh, so I'm going to talk about suicide. So maybe if this is going to be really triggering for anyone, I apologise. Might be best to maybe click off mm-hmm. at this time. So I had a number of health issues growing up when I was a kid. Um, I remember like going to coordination therapy when I was a child. I was never never officially diagnosed with dyspraxia, but you know my parents and myself kind of think maybe that's what it is. Uh, and it's not in itself hasn't isn't something that particularly kind of you know impacted heavily on my life. But it was always that when I was growing up. And then when I was about ten, eleven, I I started having epileptic seizures, and that really kind of sky and those really skyrocketed throughout my kind of from the age of about 13, 14, and really didn't settle down until my late 20s. Um, and obviously that had a massive impact on my life, was very, left me feeling very disempowered. I couldn't work, I couldn't earn, 
I was reliant on friends and family to kind of look after me. Uh, amount of times my friends kind of took me home after a night out if I'd had a seizure <clears throat> in the middle of a nightclub, which uh, which is, you know, even though it's not, I shouldn't be embarrassed about it. It's not my fault. It's a health condition. No one should be embarrassed about a health condition. It is. <laughs> you know, it was very, it felt very, you know. So that, I think that kind of, you know, that, that had a massive impact on my mental health from an early age. And I think I kind of buried it. I think I didn't acknowledge it. I never really spoke to friends or family about this when I was a teenager. But I remember, you know, having really harmful and dodgy thoughts when I was a teenager. Um, and then later on in life, I then met a partner who I mentioned, who was like very open about her mental health issues. And unfortunately, I did. Unfortunately, I did lose her to suicide. And, you know, that as it won't be as wise to anyone. That's quite traumatic. Um, that just kind of really was the last nail in the coffin. My own mental health really just kind of started to go downhill after that point. Uh, but I think what, you know, although that, you know, that was a, tra a traumatic event, you know, my time, you know, my time with that partner, you know, it was really formative for me. You know, it really inspired me by how open she was with her mental health about her mental health and you know the fact that she wanted to give back to others and help others and I think that's what started me on my own kind of route of wanting to work in the sector it was a bumpy ride and I had to take some time out from working in the sector because I hadn't got myself quite on that even keel which you know I have now and yeah that's kind of what's led me to here today and I think especially with my kind of my particular kind of passion about encouraging men to speak up more openly about their mental health again that just came from my experiences of i think accessing peer support groups going through therapy groups and being like why am i the only bloke here i remember going along to a peer support group that i accessed every week and there were points where apart from the from the chap who was running it i was the only bloke you know and it was a bit you know it's not <laughs> i was like what what do i talk about this is awkward <laughs> and and again, working in services, just seeing less men kind of access, you know, the the bulk of people I have supported as clients have been have been women. So I, you know, so that's kind of really what's led me here today. I mean, just to end that on the positive, I am, you know, I'm in a much better place today. You know, so recovery is possible. You know, you can come back from some really low lows and live a really fulfilling life. So I'd like to encourage everyone not to, if anyone listening not if you are in really dire straits you know please don't give up there is help out there you know and it is possible to come back from these things and live a meaningful life and i do still live with depression and anxiety every day i think it's important just to say that mm. it's not going to go away for me but i live with it i manage it it doesn't define me you know um well-being tips Again, you know, like I spoke about the five ways to well-being, which is a really excellent thing. If you've not heard of that before, yeah, please do Google it. It's you know really kind of useful just to kind of start that the thought process about you know what's important in life. For me, work-life balance is a big one. Um, if you do have a stress, stressful and demanding job, make sure you know just try please make try and make sure you've got that work-life balance correctly. You know. I will say, I know it's not possible in every job, but I always say to my guys, you know, please don't be 
you know, in your emails or having your work phone open into the evenings, if possible, try and keep that healthy separation. The the gym, I've not been so active at the gym, but exercise, going to the gym was a massive part of my recovery early on, especially when I wasn't working um, and I was feeling that lack of structure. Um, yeah, and music, big one for me as well putting on some you know putting on some tunes you know it's, and also you know I've got a little covers band that I'm trying to get off the ground and I always feel so much better after shouting down a microphone for two hours it's amazing <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah and but I think the biggest one for me again open honest communication talk to people don't be afraid to talk to people I think get it out there get it out of your head either if it's verbalizing it or writing it down on paper things become for me things became so much easier to process uh, when I started getting it out of my head and it just became a lot easier for me to then like look at it as okay actually I've just oh perhaps I need to do something about this what can I do about this yeah so open on this communication get out talking about it it's the old BT ad, it's good to talk. I know it's before your time, Sam. <laughs> but it, it's, it is. It's a cliche, but it is so good to talk. Maybe, and even, you know, you don't have to talk to everyone, even if it's just finding one or two people that you know you can trust, you know. I think there's a really good way to end it. And thank you very much to both of you for joining us on the show. Um, a lot longer than expected. Um, a lot shorter for everyone else than expected, but a lot longer than us were expected. But yeah, as I will repeat, like we did record a little bit before we went live. So if you want to see the full version of the show, um, Sunday evening, it should all be up there on Facebook, YouTube and Spotify. Um, and also, if you just want to head um, and donate to our campaign, me and Rob has already taken part in his sponsored silence. My sponsored silence is coming up. So just head to www.justgiving.com slash campaign slash let's talk mate and you can donate to our campaign all the money will be going to solar mind and again if you are struggling head over to solar mind's website there's a whole bunch of services support lines crisis services and obviously there's loads of other places in the local area where you can go find support as well so just type that into google um there'll be a whole host of places you can find support and please very much do um and yeah and just listen to this podcast you know every month we talk about a different thing within mental health and even if you're not ready to talk yourself sometimes just have a little listen to um, other men talking about their mental health and that could be very helpful so again thank you very much to uh, Rob and Lachlan for joining me thank you to Novatech for sponsoring the podcast thank you to Southern University um, for allowing us to use the radio studios and thank you to everyone who has listened